Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature, which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself, if you dare. Come, inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness <laughs> has found you. Good evening. You're listening to Horror Hill. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3. I'm your host, Jason Hill. And I'm thrilled you could join me tonight. In today's episode, courtesy of author Jeff Sturdivant, comes a feature film length roller coaster of a tale, encompassing everything from malevolent manifestations and guilty pleasures to betrayals and all too timely demise. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today 
to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now, without further ado, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life, where those who seek the darkness need look no further. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Tonight's tale of terror comes to us courtesy of author Jeff Sturdivant. In it, we'll meet Bob, a seemingly ordinary gentleman with an interest in abandoned storage units and bidding on their contents whose humdrum life becomes anything but ordinary when he discovers something otherworldly nestled in the nook of his latest purchase. But will Bob get more than he bargained and paid for when he comes to terms with the terrible truth about his newfound treasure? Stay tuned and find out. Without further ado, from author Jeff Sturdivant, I present to you Jar Baby. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. One. Let's start the bidding off at $20. Do I hear 20 Here, declared Bob Mason. Anxiously, he diddled his nipple. 20 to the gentleman in the overalls. Do I hear 30 Do I hear 30 said the auctioneer. Thirty here, cried a voice from behind. Well, shit, Bob thought. He were hoping to have enough money left over for chili dogs after the auction, but if he didn't win this container, there weren't going to be no food on the table, let alone chili dogs at the fair. Let alone fixing the lid of the broken septic tank at home. Thirty-five, said Bob, hand back in the air. Thirty-five, do I hear forty, do I hear forty, 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 do I hear forty? Bob diddled his nipple faster now. Forty, said the jerk. Forty-one, answered Bob. Fifty. Fifty to the man in the hat. Do I hear fifty-five? Do I hear fifty-five? Fifty-five? Do I hear fifty-five? All you could see in the abandoned storage unit were a wall of opaque plastic tubs, a big rolling toolbox, an old mattress, and a few pieces of furniture. Still, Bob had a feeling about this storage unit. There was something good in there. He could feel it in his bones. There weren't any wheelchair. Gertie Sue would be unhappy about that. 
but the horoscope had said to trust in his instincts. And he'd be dipped in shit if this unit didn't have some secret treasures and it just waiting to be cashed in on. Trouble was, all he had in his pocket were 65 bucks and lint. So, if he were supposed to procure said treasures this afternoon, he were going to need a little luck. 55, Bob said. He diddled ferociously now. 55 to the man in the overalls. Do I hear 60, 60, 60? Do I hear 60? Do I hear 60? 57, 50, said the jerk. Bob glanced over his shoulder at the man with the hat. Now, old Bob weren't no genius, but he did know one thing. He knew the jerk were looking forward to getting himself an Italian ice after the auction, same as everyone else. And an Italian ice is 50 cents. So now if he's up to bidding 5750, it would stand to reason he's only got 58. <laughs> That's right. I'll be dipped in shit if the guy's got a cent more. He wrinkled his forehead. Do I hear 58? 58, said Bob. 58 to the man in the overalls. Do I hear 59? Do I hear 59? Do I hear 59? Going once. Going twice. Bob glanced back at the man with a hat. He glared back, sullen and defeated. Bob had flat outwitted him, and still had enough for an Italian ice, chili dogs, and a Coke to boot. The jerk would have plenty for lunch, too, but he weren't going home with no treasures. Not today. Bob Mason had staked his claim. Sold to the man in the overalls. Ooh, yeah, said Bob. He'd forgotten about his nipple. Amid the dirty looks of the defeated, Bob stood triumphant in the unit door, like an emperor marveling over his kingdom. 150 square foot of detritus. And no doubt some treasures, too, once he dug his way through all the former. All rightfully and lawfully his. No wheelchair, so Gertie Sue was shit out of luck this week. She'd have to spend another week with her monumental ass on the couch, but that were nothing unusual. No big TVs, neither. So she'd have to watch her programs on the same 19-incher she were used to. But not to dwell on that, because who was to say what other magnificent artifacts might abide in such a prodigious pile of... Well, who knows what? This were his favorite part of the whole processes. The great sense of wonder as he stared out over the pile... It felt to him like being inside one of those carnival claw machines. Only he got all the chances he wanted to dip his claw, and it didn't cost him no quarters neither. Or, if he were a famous archaeologist and he were digging in some prehistoric dinosaur hole. Bob stood there a minute, lightly brushing his nipple and considering the possibilities. Granted, it weren't always a success. Sometimes a great pile of shit was all that were in there, after all. But therein lay the adventures of the container bitter archaeologist. You just never knew what y'all were going to dig up. One week you might dig up a crate of brand new lawnmower blades. Another week, you might find ten spackle buckets full of dried up cat shit. The latter he had excavated from a unit three months ago, and that might have been the most valuable thing in there that day. Either way, the thrill of the prospect was a right titillation. And spackle buckets were still good for something once you flung the cat shit out of them. Bob tossed some old blankets aside and uncovered an old rolling toolbox that looked like it were in pretty good shape. 
The kind of toolbox he usually found some pretty nice tools inside of, he reckoned. Even if it were full of fossilized cat shit, it were still notably nicer than his own toolbox. He pulled open the drawers one by one and examined the contents. Loose wrenches, sockets, rusty red relics. An old porno magazine gave him pause. He looked over his shoulder, then took out the magazine and flipped through some crinkly old photos. I'll be dipped in shit, he muttered. He put it back for the time being. Weren't worth much from a financial standpoint, but he just so happened to have an old porno magazine in his own toolbox, which weren't quite as interesting as this one. So pornography-wise, it were a slight upgrade, if not a parallel refresher. He yanked open one of the deeper drawers. There were a bunch of oily rags inside. He felt something bundled up inside, so he set to unwrapping it. When he had done unwrapping it, he stood there, staring at what might have been the plumb strangest thing he thought he'd ever found in a container, and that included the spackle bucket full of cat turds. A glass jar, like the kind they used for pickling, but inside weren't no pickle, because he knew a pickle when he saw one and this was not that. This looked more like a little human fetus baby, floating in some yellow liquid, all squished up and swollen looking. It were clearly a pickled baby. Well, I'll be dipped in shit. I've recalled hearing about little fetuses in jars and such in traveling circuses. Pickled punks, they called them. And that's what this looked to be. Strangely, looked almost too grown up to be a fetus. Smart, almost like a little baby politician. And the head were kind of strange shaped too. Squarish, like his neighbor Ned's and this squished-up little look on its face like it were uncomfortable in there. It were kind of adorable in its own little squished-up squarish way. Well, I'll be dipped, Bob said. I'm a father. Should he let it out? No, that'd be ridiculous. Couldn't be so uncomfortable in there. It were most probably dead. It would have to be. It probably hadn't eaten in a long time. Bob hadn't eaten since breakfast and he were already starving to death. The auctioneer approached from behind. Just need your signature, Mr. Mason, it's official. Bob panicked and stuck the jar in his pocket. Sure, he said. Just as he finished signing, he felt this funny sensation, almost like the jar were vibrating in his pocket. After the auctioneer left with his signed document, he pulled out the jar and looked at it. Nothing peculiar. Nothing relatively peculiar, at least, considering the fact that it were a dead baby squished in a pickle jar, because that in itself were pretty peculiar as it were. Well, that's damn peculiar, he said. And with that, it was time to get himself a celebratory Italian ice. Two. Gertie Sue were home sitting on the couch. The couch were pretty much where Gertie Sue sat all the time, save for back before she really settled down there for good and didn't get up again. Once in a while, back when she would get up between her stretches of sitting down, she tried pushing herself up off the couch, but it were never all that easy. And then one day, she just sat there, pushing, never got all the way back up. That was when she stopped pushing and decided just to stay sitting down. After all, that's where the TV was, and there weren't much else going on anywhere else anyways. Mari Povich had on a bunch of little elf people, 
and they were hiding in the drawers of a big boudoir shelf. Mari was calling little elves, and a couple of them just popped their heads out of a drawer and said hello. Turned out the little elves weren't really elves, but they had some kind of medical constriction that made them little and elfish like that. When Maury told them they were beautiful and special, Maury was sure nice. That's why Gertie liked him so much. She'd seen a lot of Maury since then and couldn't remember getting off the couch in between. Come to think of it, she couldn't remember the last time she'd gotten off the couch at all. She were always a generously proportioned woman, but it seems she'd gotten to the point now that even Bob couldn't pick her up off the couch. Bob said there were always wheelchairs in these containers he liked to bid on, but every weekend he'd gone out to bid on one, and there were nary a wheelchair to be brought home. Once he did find one, the idea was to get her into it, and then she could roll herself around the house between Maury's without ever having to get up. This way she could get to the kitchen to make her own meals. Since she'd sat down for the last time, she'd seen a good deal of cooking shows, and there were recipes on there she were itching to try out. Macaroni and cheese balls, for instance. She turned her head and looked out the window. The only notable sight she could see from the porch were the driveway and the cracked old septic tank lid. It were a bleak existence, sitting there on the couch, the way she were, just waiting for the sound of Bob's pickup to crunch down the gravel driveway and bump-de-bump over the septic tank lid, signaling his arrival back home. How long until Bob got home to feed her? Gertie Sue scratched her belly. Macaroni and cheese balls. Three. The Italian ice lady Crystal had on her usual Jordache jean shorts, the ones that looked like they'd been torn apart by hyenas. Bob sure did like those jean shorts. Charming as he was, he thought he'd go ahead and tell her how much he liked them. Those shorts look like they've been torn apart by damn hyenas. And I only wish I was a hyena. I... You'd finish the job. I know, dipshit, you told me last week. And the week before that. And the week before that. Well, it's only because you were wearing them last week. And the week before that. And the week before that. What flavor you want? Jordash. <laughs> That's a new one. How about I have my boyfriend come by and feed you a Nike? Bob chuckled. Make it a pina colada, darling. Bob ogled her as she worked the cheese grater over the block of ice. He could see the flaky deodorant in her armpit, and the way her tit jiggled while she held the cone underneath to catch the ice shavings. The one tit always jiggled more than the other one did. He noticed that a long time ago. It was, he'd long surmised, a relative peculiarity. Gertie Sue had big titties, but there weren't much opportunity for him to jiggle, not with the rest of her so stationary. Gertie Sue's titties just kind of sat there flattened out. Her whole body mostly sat there all flattened out. He'd likened Gertie Sue's titties to melted ice bags after a barbecue. He hadn't told her, of course, because that would be impolite. Although he figured he were getting closer as time went by and the formalities of their partnership continued to dwindle to telling her what he really thought of her ever-expanding physique. There's only so much time a man can keep quiet before he says what's on his mind. Crystal's titty, to bring it back to the present matters, moved rather freely. The other titty probably did too, under the right circumstances. 
just never as much as the right one. The right one really jiggled. That titty hat character. Inquisitively, Bob brushed his nipple. That enough? She asked. You knows I could watch you do that all day? He said. She seemed to take that as a yes, and that was his favorite part. The flavoring came in these big plastic pump jugs. The way they sat out in the heat all day, the syrup got sticky, and the pumpers got harder and harder to work. So, facing away from him now, she had to really bear down on the pump to squirt the pina colada juice on his cone, and she'd work her back in such a way where the cheeks peek out the legs of her jean shorts. Those were the real snow cones. Man, I only wish I could get a handful of those. Just then, the most peculiar thing happened. Bob's phone started to vibrate in his pocket. Only, it couldn't have been his phone, because he left his phone in the truck. So, there'd be no way he'd be vibrating in his pocket. Well, I'll be dipped in shit, he thought. It were the little baby in a jar in his pocket buzzing around like that. Now, why would it be doing that? The baby was most certainly dead in there. On account of being submerged in yellow liquid and stuffed in a jar for who knows how long and rather incapable, therefore, of movement. Or was it? There were always these bees buzzing around the syrup pumpers, especially this time of year. And just when Bob went to feel around in his pocket for the jar baby, one of the bees went ahead and took a wrong turn. Must have zigged when it should have zagged and it buzzed straight up the armpit of Crystal's tank top. She squealed like a stuck pig. Ah! Bob had seen the bee fly up there, so he knew she'd gotten stung in the approximate region of the titty. But he didn't even have time to crack a joke about it before Crystal doubled over and flew backwards like a mule kicked her. Ass first, right into the counter where Bob stood leaning. All he had time to do at this precise moment was turn each of his hands palms up. It weren't a deliberate thing, only some natural reaction built into Bob's brain, like the way a goat faints or a skunk sprays. When a set of cheeks comes your way, Bob would reason, a man's just liable to turn his hand around to catch him. And that's just what he did. And when aforementioned buns landed in said hands, another purely reflexive action took place, like a Venus flytrap. He squeezed them. Oh, Bob, you pig! Well, pardon me. Crystal put the Italian ice on the counter and walked away to nurse her sore titty. And it weren't long before Bob realized he'd just gotten what he'd wished for not a moment earlier. Well, I'll be dipped in shit, he said. It wouldn't have been a decent afternoon if he hadn't run out of gas on the way home. Gas gauge on the old pickup weren't a reliable gauge of anything let alone gas, and it turned out Bob had miscalculated just about how much he had left. What Bob did have left for the good sense to always keep a gas can handy. So, he grabbed the can and set off to the nearby gas station. Halfway there, he took off his hat and smeared it over his forehead. Hopefully the clerk would be kind enough to lend him a gallon. Bob took a moment to feel sorry for himself then. Happy as he'd been to win the container, he knew the risks. If he didn't find anything worth selling in it, he'd be broke till the first of next month. Therein lay the precarious nature of the container bidding business. Either he'd be fucked, or he wouldn't be. 
If only he had some kind of insurance. Some kind of cushion to fall back on if the container was a bust. God help me, he muttered. A man Bob didn't recognize was sitting on a nearby bench outside of the general store, scratching off a handful of lottery tickets. Just as Bob were walking by, the man seemed to startle. Bob looked at him. The man had dropped all but one ticket, and he were holding it right up to his eyeballs. Yeah, I'll be damned, he said. I won! Bob looked at the man. What do you win? He asked. Five hundred dollars! I can't believe it! The man stood up from the bench and commenced to do a kind of victorious tap dance on the sidewalk. It looked precisely like the kind of dance someone would do if they won five hundred dollars. Yahoo! I won! Bob just stood there for a second, looking down at his gas can. It occurred to him, suddenly and fully, what a sorry situation he was in. Under the present circumstances, the man's display of joy seemed a little to Bob like insult to injury. Momentarily, he found himself filled with resentment. <laughs> Thank God, Jesus! The man said. Bob turned away, disgusted. He fancied himself a good Christian man and normally wished no ill will on nobody. But at that moment, nothing would have made him happier than to see that man drop dead. Hope you get hit by a car, he muttered. Bob kept walking, absorbed in self-pity. Moments later, he noticed that strange buzzing in his overalls again. The jar baby. Then, the screech of brakes. Bob turned round just in time to see the excited man prance in front of an oncoming Winnebago. The impact launched him up over the hood and back onto the sidewalk. Holy shit, Bob said. The man behind the wheel had his hands against his cheeks. Briefly, he met eyes with Bob and neither one of them moved. The driver looked left, right, and then hit the gas and took off. Bob turned to watch him go. He turned back to the man twisted up like a pretzel on the sidewalk. There weren't a square inch of him that didn't look broken. The man, per Bob's estimations, were clearly deader than shit. Uh, someone call an ambulance, Bob said half-heartedly, but there weren't anyone around to hear it. He approached the body and looked down at it. Still in the man's outstretched and mangled hand was the unharmed lottery ticket. I will be dipped, he said. Four. Bob pulled into the gravel lot and parked alongside the trailer. He patted his pocket to make sure the jar baby was still where he'd left it. Then, he patted his other pocket to make sure the lottery ticket was still there, too. He hopped out of the truck and skipped up to the door. Bobby! All 700-some pounds of Gertie Sue were anchored down in the middle of the couch, her favorite spot. You could always identify Gertie Sue's favorite spots on account of they were all permanently indented by her backside. It weren't only because of her size, but for the fact when she decided on sitting down somewhere, she were liable to sit down there for quite some time. In one auction, Bob had won himself a memory foam pillow, and Gertie decided to sit on it. Think about memory foam... Bob knew. Was it give when you pressed on it, but went back to its regular shape once you stopped pressing? This pillow, once Gertie had sat on it for a while, ended up flat as a cow pie. 
instead of going back to the regular shape the way it was supposed to, just kind of stayed that way. A reason she'd squished the memory out of the memory foam. Everything, Bob supposed, has its limits. Bobby, did you find me a chair? No chair, Bob said. But I sure did win, he grinned. And I found something even better. She sighed. What is that? Bob walked over to the mantel and reached into his pocket and produced the bottle. He dusted off a spot next to the commemorative Elvis plate and set it down and stepped back to admire it. What's that? She asked. It's a baby. A what? A baby. A baby. A baby what? Bob looked closely, then patted the lid. A, a baby boy. Thanks. At least it looks like one. I think that there's Pecker. Gertie Sue inhaled sharply. A boy? Like a baby person? Kind of green, though. He was studying the baby up close. Its wrinkled little legs and tiny toes and its kind of funny head. Like it were too big for its body. Oh, that's terrible, Bobby. Get out of here. Ain't you always wanted a baby? Well, that kind of baby... Not a dead baby in a jar. You know, Gertie Sue, it's the weirdest thing. I'm not sure it's as dead as you might think. Get it out of my house. Bob turned to face her. I will not. Gertie Sue, I'm surprised at you. Bob typically wouldn't take a tone with Gertie Sue, and the fact that he had seemed to give her pause. You... Oh. Dang, you don't understand, Gertie. This here ain't a regular baby. Well, I think it's some kind of magic baby. What the hell do you mean, magic baby? Bob commenced to tell her a slightly adjusted version of what had happened to him. Not how he'd wished the man dropped dead, but how he wished for money, and how the jar started shaking, and how the winning lottery ticket just happened to appear there. And she just sat there listening with her eyes open like ping-pong balls, particularly when he told her how the ticket was worth $500. And suddenly, she didn't seem quite so put off by the jar baby as before. Now you think it was a baby what did it? I swear, I feel the thing vibrating in my pocket. I think it's like a lucky charm, like a rabbit's foot, <laughs> but better. Can we try another wish then? Bob looked at the jar. Would it be presumptuous of him to ask for another wish so soon? Go on, Bobby. Ask it something. Make a wish. Well, all right, Bob said. He shuffled his feet a little and closed his eyes and made a wish. I wish the Gertie Shoe were a supermodel. He opened his eyes and looked at the jar. Nothing happened. What do you wish for? I wished for more money, he said. Gertie took brief inventory of the living room. No, she said. That thing ain't lucky. You've been had. I ain't been had. I just came in the unit. Plus, I swear it worked before. He thought about telling her about how the jar had granted Crystal's ass into his hands, but he thought that wouldn't have been such a good idea. I just wish you'd get that thing off my mantle and get rid of it. I don't want it sitting there while I'm watching Maury. Bob frowned. 
I wish you stopped watching them damn stupid shows, he said. Just as Gertie Sue were fixing to pipe up at that, they both heard a rattle and turned to see the jar jiggling round the mantel, all by itself, jiggling round, and the water the baby was floating in were glowing a faint yeller. Well, I'll be dipped in shit, Bob said. Then, poof, a loud spark from the television set and the screen went dark, and a little curl of ozone smoke were floating up from the back of it. The TV was fried. My TV! cried Gertie. Well, goddamn. Gertie looked like she were about to cry. She tried to get up from the couch, but only kind of wobbled round and just sat back down. She were too emotional to grasp what had just happened for the moment, but it weren't lost on Bob. I'll be dipped in shit. He picked the jar back up and looked at it. No doubt about it. The thing was some kind of genie. Wouldn't grant every wish, he figured, but it sure granted some of them. Five. It were five days left until the next container auction, and since Bob didn't have much to do until then, he thought he'd spend some time wishing on the new jar baby. Most of the time, nothing happened. Here and there, so long as the wish were reasonable enough, jar would jiggle, and something good would happen. Of course, sometimes something not so good would happen along with the good thing that would happen. For instance, Bob were on his way back from the fishing hole empty-handed, even though he'd wished a whole bunch to catch some fish to no effect. When he wished, without thinking about it, that he could have a nice barbecue. Man, I'd like to have a nice barbecue, he wished. Just like that, Jar Baby started shaking in the glove box. At first, he thought it were a squirrel in there. But then, he remembered he'd stowed it in there for safekeeping. He reached over to open the box, and there it was, glowing yeller, and bang. The truck ran right into something, and bumpity bump right on over it. Bob's hat fell off and landed in his lap. Shut of a... The first thing that came to mind was Bob had run over a drunk. He got out of the truck, hyperventilating, and looked up and down the road. Nothing. Then... He went around to the back of the truck, and there, hanging on the trailer hitch by his collar, was the evidence of the offending bump. Bob had plumb run it over, and it hung itself on the trailer hitch on the way out back. It were Mrs. Schumacher's pet pig dummy. It were all banged up, looked like it'd been hit by a truck, but that was purely on account of it had been. A stiff jab with the cow catcher, an uppercut with the differential... Bob's your uncle. And now it had somehow hung itself on the trailer hitch by its collar there. Uh, dummy? You okay? It didn't answer him. That were partly on account of being a pig and not being able to talk, but mostly on account of it being dead after Bob had run it over. Bob realized two things just then. First, Mrs. Schumacher were apt to be fairly sore with him about running over her beloved pet pig. Mrs. Schumacher's love for the pig was notorious. The other thing he realized was that just as he'd been wishing for a nice cookout, the jar baby had started jiggling. And that was when he happened to run over Mrs. Schumacher's pet pig. And now he just happened to have a hundred-some pounds of swine hanging right there on his trailer hitch. And he just happened to be in the mood for pork. He stood there for a minute, 
just kind of brushing his nipple with his finger, considering the situation. He took a peek around, making sure no one had seen this take place. No one in sight. Just him and the pig. So, got back in the truck and started driving. Six. Old Dummy the pig were a little dented and dinged up and scratched from the drag home, but by the time Bob had them all broiled up and crispy, you couldn't hardly tell what had happened to him. Golden brown from rooter to tutor. The smell in the neighborhood was quite intoxicating, and all the neighbors came by for a hunk. Bob was the man of the hour. Gertie Sue were inside as usual, sunk in the middle of the sofa, reading magazines and looking at the wall. Every once in a while, Bob would catch her peering out the window with his resentful look on her face. Bob could tell it was her resentful look because he'd seen it so many times before. Her lower lip would kind of do this thing where it looked like she had a wad of dip in it. He figured she were a little mad about not having a TV. Probably sore at Bob because he hadn't bought her a new one yet with the $500 he'd won. Regardless, he had more pressing matters to attend to at the moment. Here came Betty Jean, who he happened to know, liked her meat well done. Bob, charming as he was, recognized that therein lay a clever quip, and far be it from him not to take advantage of it. You want your meat well done, Betty Jean? I could be your personal chef. You are such a pig, Bob. I just wish for once I could have a look at them nice titties. She crossed her arms. Bob had sent that last part aloud without realizing it. But before he had time to excuse himself, he felt the jar baby start to jiggle in his pocket. A wish? It couldn't be. One look at Betty Jean and it was pretty darn obvious she wasn't about to show those titties to anyone. Not even for a nice piece of pork. And before you knew it, here came the neighbor's kids with the garden hose and he shot her right in the ass with it. That's when something peculiar happened. She turned around. Naturally, the kid went ahead and soaked her in the front, too, just the way he'd soaked her in the back. So, naturally, she turned back round again, and there they were, right where Bob could see them. Sure, they weren't completely bare, but her t-shirts were worn sufficiently thin, and the nipples on them were downright steely on account of the water being so cold. You little pig, she said. She were bending over now, Kind of crouched away from the kid, and Bob went ahead and took the liberty of peeking down her shirt a little. The titties, Bob observed, were narrow in diameter, but good and close together. In Bob's estimation, she were well made. I'll be dipped, he said. It weren't long before Betty Jean became wise to the fact that Bob were taking the liberty and turned her attention to him. You're a pig, Bob. I knew you were planning something like that. Honestly, Betty, Bob said with most sincerity, I never planned a damn thing. 7. Gertie sat there on the couch just looking at the blank TV screen, wondering what kind of great show she were missing. Bob had said he'd sure as hell be able to get a new TV at the next auction for the fact that there were always a TV or two in some of them containers so there weren't no reason to go ahead and waste any of the money on a brand new one. Of course, there weren't no more auctions for four days yet. Bob had put the jar baby back on the mantle for the time being, and she looked at it for a minute. 
She still wasn't convinced it were anything more than a pickled miscarriage someone kept for a peculiar decoration. She felt silly doing it, but she focused all of her chi energy on the thing. She had seen a Chinaman on Mori do something similar one episode, and something had happened. She couldn't remember what it was that had happened, only that she was fairly impressed by it. So, she thought she'd try the same thing and make something happen herself. She closed her eyes and made herself a wish. I wish for a new TV. But when she opened her eyes, the jar baby were just sitting there with its back to her. Maybe if she turned around so it were looking at her, maybe that would help. She took hold of the arm of the couch and tried getting up, but she wouldn't budge. Damn. She stuck her legs out for leverage, but they were too heavy to hold there for more than a second or so. She tried wiggling a little, but the whole couch just kind of wiggled with her. It were almost like she were stuck there. It had really been quite a while since she'd gotten up off the couch. Maybe she were stuck there. Maybe she'd reached some kind of critical mass. It came to her then that she couldn't remember the last time she'd gotten up and gone to the bathroom neither. Her memory wasn't the greatest, but still, she hadn't gotten up and gone to the bathroom since before the last time she sat down on the couch, and she'd been sitting on the couch for a long time. Since Maury did that Valentine's Day episode, she recalled, what day was it now? Well, July 4th just happened not too long ago. She sat there counting on her fingers for a while. Wow, she thought. She had been sitting there for quite a while, hadn't she? 8. Auction day had arrived, and Bob were set to bid on another container. The way it worked for the auctioneer would open the door, and the bidders would be able to look inside from about ten feet back. You couldn't go into it, only have a look and see whatever you could see. When the auctioneer went ahead and opened the door, most of the stuff in there had all been covered up by tarps. All you could guess what was in there by were the shapes popping up under the canvas. Down in the corner, Bob could see these two spots popping up under the sheet that kind of reminded him of Crystal's nipples over at the Italian ice stand. But you know what else it looked like? Looked just like the top of a wheelchair. Well, we dipped, he said. Finally, Gertie would be pleased as punch if he finally came home with the wheelchair he'd been looking for. Now that Bob thought about it, Gertie hadn't been off of that couch in a real long time. In fact, he couldn't even remember the last time she'd been off of the couch. But he did know one thing. If there weren't no wheelchair in there, there'd better be some kind of TV set because if Gertie weren't going to get off the couch, he sure as hell would want to watch TV. She hadn't been able to watch Maury for a week now, and she was starting to get plum cranky about it. In fact, she was starting to get near intolerable. Do I hear 20? Do I hear 20? Called the auctioneer. 20, Bob said. He had a good feeling about this one. 25. Bob turned to look at the man who had outbid him. It was Larry, the town lapidary, with his stinking hat and his crooked mustache. Bob had never liked the man. Besides the stinking hat and the crooked mustache, which was frankly an insult to Bob's sense of aesthetics, Bob wondered from time to time what in the world would lead a man to become a lapidary in the first place. Twenty-six, Bob said. Twenty-seven. 
said Larry. Twenty-eight, said Bob. This went on for a while, until the bid were getting perilously close to Bob's budget. All he had in his pocket were fifty dollars, and once he got past forty, he figured his lunch were in jeopardy at that point, and God forbid that because Bob were already hungrier than a shit beetle. At this point, the only two people that seemed interested in the unit were Bob and Larry. And Larry's niggling bids were plain affront to not only Bob trying to procure the unit, but he were encroaching on the prospect of Bob having lunch in an Italian ice. 38, said Larry. 39, hissed Bob. Damn it, he thought. I swear, I wish Larry just dropped dead. Bob's pockets started shaking, and it occurred to him he'd left the baby in there from the day before. And then it occurred to him it had heard him wish Larry would drop dead. And that's why it had started shaking. Aw, shit on the toadstool, he said. Well, Larry couldn't even get out the bed for 40 before he clenched his chest and let out some kind of sound like a wet beer belch. He took a knee, then two, and then he just kind of keeled over. Bob didn't even wonder if he was okay or not. He knew he wasn't. The baby had seized upon some convenient thrombus in Larry's circulatory system, and Bob's your uncle. Uh, whoops, Bob said. He hadn't really wanted to kill him. The others in the crowd spread out to give him some space, and someone called the ambulance. A few minutes later, they had him covered up with a sheet, and they were carrying him into the ambulance. Larry was indeed deader than shit. Some kind of cardinal infarction, they said. Eventually... The auctioneer started the bidding back up, a little more somber-like now. Thirty-nine, uh, thirty-nine to Bob. Do I hear forty? Do I hear forty? Well, maybe it was because the atmosphere were a little morose on account of Larry's having a cardinal infarction and being subsequently deader than shit, but nobody topped Bob's bid, and the container was as good as his. Standing there in the doorway, he chanced another wish. Yar, baby. I wish there'd be a wheelchair and a TV in there. Amen. As expected, the jar stayed still this time. He figured it would. Maybe it were tuckered out from granting the one wish already. Bob ganked off the tarps and stood there looking at the pile of shit. It were fairly disappointing at first glance. Mostly piles of old newspapers and garbage. Looked like the work of one of them crazy hoarder people on TV. Two nipples poking up under the tarp were indeed the top of a chair, but it weren't no wheelchair, just an old shitty chair. No TV neither, just mostly a pile of grade B crapola. The one thing he did find, though, was one of those laptop computers. He never did own a computer, so the thought of owning one now was a novelty. He'd heard plenty of auction shoppers like himself talking about how they like to sell their stuff online, but that always sounded like too much trouble to him. Call him old-fashioned, Bob was a flea-market man. Still, he reckoned it would make him look professional to hold the laptop, so he took the computer and held it under his arm, feeling like some kind of highfalutin' businessman. Bob waited in line for his Italian ice, and when Crystal saw him there with the laptop computer under his arm, she asked, "Was that? Laptop computer?' That's just what it is, Bob said. He brushed his nipple with his free hand. Is it yours? Course it is, Bob said. How else you figure I take care of all my business? 
I don't even know what I'd do without it. Back home, Bob walked through the door and Gertie Sue twisted her neck to look at him. You got no TV? Nah, sorry, darling. No chair? Sorry, honey. No luck. Gertie kind of sighed and just turned her head and stared there at the dead TV. Bob felt pretty bad just then. All his poor wife could do was just sit there on the couch and look at magazines. He must have been pretty bored. Must have been pretty bored for quite some time now. He couldn't even remember the last time she'd done anything besides sit on the couch. Yes, indeed. She must be pretty goddamn bored with it all. He sure would be. He looked at the new laptop computer gadget. Weren't exactly a new TV, but it did have a screen on it. Maybe Gertie could entertain herself with it if she'd just figure out how to turn it on and work it. After all, they weren't going to use it for anything. I got this for you, though, he said. He walked over and handed it to her. What's this? Brand new computer, he said. Figure you can turn it on and have all sorts of fun with it until I find your new TV. She opened it up and sat looking at the blank screen. Does it have Mari on it? You know what? I bet you it does. Well, how you work it? Figure you can play around with it and figure it out. Well, all right, she said. She started fiddling around with all the buttons. One of them turned kind of blue when she pressed it, and something inside started whirring round. Before long, the screen came on. Dale, it said. I'll be dipped in shit, Bob said. 9. Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings than anywhere else. So, finding the perfect place is easier than ever, and so is finally moving in together. Just the two of you. It's a big step. Lots of new responsibilities. Lots of adjustments. Most likely, they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom. And you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner. They might even unroll all your toilet paper next time. It's just what happens when you two find a new place together, but you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them, because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet, so that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com the place to find a pet-friendly place. Gerda Sue had been goofing around with the computer for a couple of days and was starting to feel a little more content in the fact of her being stuck there on the couch. She'd even managed to connect it to the internet. She'd heard plenty about the internet on Maury and other shows. The internet was new and exciting territory. Maury would do these shows when a lady would accuse her husband of cheating and they'd do all these lie detector tests to prove whether he had or he hadn't. Sometimes it'd be the opposite. A man would come on as a guest, thinking his wife had been cheating on him. Either way, it always turned out the cheater had found the person they'd been cheating with on the internet. And now, the fact that Gertie Sue was playing around on the internet herself, this kind of extra-dimensional Gomorrah, made her feel fairly titillated. She came across this website called Horny Heifers and was filled with a tangy sensation. Not particularly because she were so horny herself, per se, 
Come to think of it, Gertie Sue couldn't remember the last time she were afflicted with any manner of horniness. But the idea and what she was doing were so downright naughty. Would Bob be mad if she knew she were horsing around on such a website? She thought he might be. Maybe he would be mad if he found out what she were up to. But if that were the case, at least he'd pay her some attention over the matter. Maybe if he got an idea that her eyes were starting to wander, he'd stop taking her for granted the way he did. Maybe it'd light a fire under his ass to hurry up with the chair and the new TV set. Maybe he'd quit yapping all the time about the stupid jar baby and start being a little more attentive to her needs. Almost like he'd been reading her thoughts, Bob came bounding through the front door. Gertie Sue, you'll never believe what just happened. She shut the laptop and set it aside. Well, what? I was walking back from the store and I wished, man, wish I had a sandwich. <laughs> I'll be. A sandwich? She snapped. That's what you wish for? The grin melted from Bob's face. He looked kind of queerly at her. While your own wife is all stuck on the couch with no TV and no wheelchair, and all you can think about is a sandwich, she snorted. I'll bet there are plenty of other men out there who would have found me both of those things already. Well, I was hungry, Bob said. I'll bet there's a man out there who'd bend over backwards for a woman like me, she said. By now, Bob's grin had been suitably wiped from his face. He appeared not to know exactly what to say. So, Gertie decided to pile it on just a little thicker. A woman's got needs, you know. It's safe to say none of mine are getting met. She crossed her arms and turned away. At least the best she could, anyways. Her arms didn't exactly cross, and all she could turn was her head. So... She could tell by Bob's dejected steps out the door that she'd sufficiently made her point, and she grinned. Truth told, she didn't remember the last time she'd made such a point. Bob had started the afternoon out pretty excited that he'd come across a free sandwich coupon and enjoyed a free sandwich, but now he felt a little lousy. Truth told, this were the first time in quite a while he'd felt insecure in his married life. He couldn't remember the last time Gertie Sue had regarded him in such a manner. Maybe he truly had been neglectful of her after all. He supposed maybe he had. Ever since the jar baby showed up and been pretty damn near all he'd thought about. Made sense that Gertie might have caught on to that. She were smart after all. That was one of the things Bob liked so much about her when they'd met 20 years ago at the burger hop. She was wise to Bob's advances. Told him she knew what the hell he was up to all along. And she was right. He'd been staring at her titties, trying to get a good eyeful to take home with him. And the way things turned out, he ended up taking her home with him. Granted, she'd gone from a Ferrari to a dump truck since then, but still, that day had been one of the most memorable days of his life. Bob sat there on the front stoop reminiscing about those days. He remembered how lovey-dovey Gerda used to be with him. He remembered how he used to be the same with her. Most of all, he remembered the titties. Granted, they weren't the same titties that had captivated him at the burger hop as they were now, but when it came down to it, weren't they still Gertie's titties? Even though each one of them ought to have a plate with its gross vehicle weight embossed on it, at their heart, the heart of the titties, weren't they still 
those same titties. All this thought of the aforementioned titties Bob noticed had inspired in the depths of his overalls an uncharacteristic stiffness he weren't particularly used to this time of day, and with it materialized a novel idea they thought might remedy the current marital discord he'd been mulling over. He stood then, a perpendicular force of resoluteness, turned and went back into the trailer. There she sat, same place as always, but when she turned to look, it were plain to see on her face that she noticed the firmness of his resolve. It weren't so plain to see how she felt about it, only that she sure as hell noticed it. But that were enough for Bob. She had always needed a little convincing to get her agreeable for what was to come, and Bob just so happened to be an excellent persuader. Bob, you're right, Erdeshoe. I've been neglecting your needs, but I got news for you. Good news. That ends now. Gertie's face were all of a sudden twisted up in such a way where a passerby might mistake it for a rictus of horror. But Bob knew better. He'd only surprised her, that was all. Oh, Bob, you gotta be crazy. I'm gonna prove my love, Gertie Sue. Right now. Shoulders back, Bob advanced on her. No, you go away now. There's only one way I'm going, and that's this way. I'll scream. Yeah, Gertishu, maybe you will. Now it were only because of Bob's sheer determination that he were able to go through with a connoted act. It were anything at all but graceful. There were attempts at the removal of clothing that proved an impossibility. There were failed attempts at the repositioning of certain limbs. There were aromas encountered that threatened the turgidity of Bob's resolution. The end came only by means one could conservatively describe as unorthodox, and more aptly describe as abominable. The act itself appeared more like a kind of interspatial violence. After it had been done, once the ephemeral fog had risen, Bob surmised by the look on her face that the whole thing hadn't done much good for their marriage after all. On a positive note, however, at least she hadn't screamed like she said she would. 10. Now Gertie Sue were no stranger to indignity. It were hard to carry oneself in such a dignified manner when you were unable to carry yourself to begin with. In fact, she could barely remember the last time she carried herself anywhere. But what had happened yesterday were a plain indignity unlike anything she'd ever experienced. In fact, if there were one instance alone in the last who knows how long when she liked to have gotten up and left on her own accord, it were yesterday. And all she could do was wait it out until Bob had finished having his awful weight with her armpit like that. She opened the laptop and woke it up. It were still on the Horny Heifer's website. More than ever now, it occurred to her that horniness was no factor in her being there. What she wanted was compassion. Companionship. She checked her messages to see if anyone had responded. There were one message from Benjamin, a nice man from Fallensby she'd connected with in the chatting section. She'd been surprised to see there were gentlemen out there that actually preferred women of her size. And Benjamin actually liked them the bigger the better. She opened the message. So nice to hear from you, Miss Gertie. You look awful beautiful in your pictures you sent. I don't mind that you're couched. You're a big girl. I like that. 
I could bring you food, take care of you, anything you want. Massage your feet. Massage whatever. Hope you message back. Ben. Gertie could not believe her eyes. All Bob had ever done was criticize her for being the size she were. And here were gentlemen that actually appreciated her for it. Even admired her for it. All thanks to the magic of the internet. And this mysterious Wi-Fi portal there too called Spam Fan One. Gracious me, she said. Eleven. Things hadn't gotten any better with Gertie Sue in the weeks since the incident. Bob had managed to find her a little TV in the most recent auction, but she seemed mostly glued to the laptop these days. And the wheelchair? Well, even if Bob managed to find one, he doubted it would fit her. It occurred to Bob that he'd never laid eyes on a rolling structure that'd be capable of moving her around. She were getting wider to the road and lower to the ground by the day, eating like a wood chipper. And along with that, she were getting meaner. These days, she were about the meanest thing this side of the Appalachians. He'd even given up on bringing her food. He just rolled the fridge up to the couch and plugged it in over there. Being friendly with her anymore were a lost cause. As for the jar baby, though, things were going real well. On account of him making several successful wishes, it had landed him several more sandwiches. The mysterious death of the barking beagle next door, a modest TV set to keep Gertie quiet, and most notable of all, a huge boost in his business. He'd gone in on a big risky auction with the 300 he had left from the lottery, and by the time he bid up the two and a quarter, the baby started shaking. It was just then that his only contestant received a phone call from his wife. That, by his reaction to it, seemed kind of serious. And the man just gave it up, ran out of there, just like that. And old Bob ended up with a container and 75 leftover for whatever. It were really something. Said container, which had been advertised to have belonged to one Bernard T. Plotz, a notoriously successful businessman in the area of farming, were stuffed to the ceiling and all covered with a tarpaulin. It turned out to contain all manner of expensive farming instruments, tiller parts, combine parts, engine parts, blades, and other tools. A phenomenal find. The first acquisition so far with the potential to boost Bob's business into the next tier of success. And that, it certainly had. Related, sales of some of those expensive machine parts gave assent to his lifelong dream of starting a farm. Now, it weren't much of a farm one could assent to in the meager backyard of a double-wide prefab, but it were certainly a start. It felt like a farm, anyway. Two pigs, three piglets, a little henhouse with six chickens, and a pelican. The pelican weren't your typical farm animal, but the man who'd sold the chickens to him had agreed to throw it in for free. Yes, he'd apparently become disinterested in it. It were missing one wing and one foot, and on account of that, just kind of stood there leaning. Bob figured why not. He'd take the pelican. As long as it just stood there leaning, what harm could it do? Sometimes, it even looked ornamental, just leaning there against the chicken coop. Bob named it Leany. When Bob got back from selling his goods at the flea market, he found it particularly relaxing to just sit out there looking at the animals and drinking beer. Most of the time, 
He didn't even bother going inside first to say hi to Gertie when he got home. He just went right round back and sat down. Most of the time these days, Gertie weren't worth coming in to say hi to. Most of the time these days, she were plain intolerable. Just bigger, fatter, and meaner than a constipated badger. Bob and Ned were sitting outside on this particular day drinking beer. Bob had showed Ned the jar baby but held his tongue about telling him how it granted wishes from time to time. Even Ned, nice guy as he was, would not be immune to temptation if he knew it was magical. Maybe he'd even try to steal it. By now, Bob had ascertained through experimentation that the jar baby only granted wishes to its rightful legal owner. So, if it were stolen, what good would it be to anyone? About twelve beers into the case that afternoon, Bob fathomed up what he thought might be a rather fanciful idea. You ever make a tater cannon? He asked Ned. Ned pursed his lips and thought about it. Not since I was a boy, he said. Last container I got had this big-ass PVC pipe, Bob said. I thought, what the hell am I supposed to do with a big-ass PVC pipe? Then I thought I'd know. Maybe one day I'll make a big-ass tater cannon out of it. Ned chuckled. He appeared right titillated by the notion. You got a cap on the end of it? It's got one on there already. You got a propeller? Where the hell am I going to get a propeller? Oh, I mean, like WD-40 or something. Yeah, I got WD. You got taters? Yeah, I got taters. Ned belched. Well... Fuck it, he said. Bob and Ned each opened a fresh beer and went to the shed and dug out the old PVC pipe. It was certainly a big-ass PVC pipe. In fact, Ned was quick to point out the fact that he doubted Bob were even in possession of such a tater with the required girth to build up pressure behind it to shoot. I doubt seriously you've got a tater fat enough to plug up that pipe, Ned said. Bob scratched his hat. Then he took off his hat, remembering he had it on, and scratched his head, where he prior intended to. You might be right, he said. Ned took a drink and considered their dilemma for a minute. You got anything fat enough to fit that pipe? Bob flicked his nipple in consideration. He took a mental inventory of what he had that might fit in the pipe. The only thing that came to mind was the hoagie he had in the fridge but he weren't about to waste dinner just for the fun of shooting it out of a cannon. Just then, a funny look came across Ned's face. The usual look on Ned's face were ordinarily kind of funny, but this look was funny relative to that. How's about one of them piglets? He suggested. Bob thought about that a moment. Under normal circumstances, perhaps before Bob had drank all those beers, the answer would most certainly have been no. There is no way I'm about to fire one of those innocent piglets out of this cannon. But, under the influence of said beers, Bob stood to reason that he had three piglets. And in case that one were shot out of a tater cannon, he would still have two piglets remaining. That, combined with the allure of seeing such a poor sign perpetration amounted to an uncommonly enchanting temptation. I'll get to Crisco, he said. Bob snuck up the porch and into the kitchen door. He could see the back of Gertie Sue's head on the couch, kind of leaning forward. Maybe she was sleeping. 
He opened the cabinet and grabbed the Crisco can with the rag in it. But being somewhat inebriated as he was, he knocked over a nearby can and made a ruckus. Bob, you back there? No, I mean, yeah, it's me. What the hell are you doing out there all day? Just tending the animals. Maybe you should be out buying me my wheelchair. Bob paused, not exactly considering the idea that she had a fair point but wondering how exactly he could address the matter with some tact. You know, Gertie, I don't see you rolling anywhere but downhill. Now, Bob weren't sure that were the most polite thing to say, but he seemed to have lost his sense of inhibition, and she must have suspected that were the case because she didn't have anything to say about it. She just sat there, kind of morose, while Bob retrieved the Crisco and went back outside. It occurred briefly to Bob that he didn't really care what she thought about it. Maybe in the past he would have, but his general regard for Gertie these days seemed to be steadily dwindling. Along with this notion came a refreshing sense of deliverance. It felt good, he thought, to not give quite so much of a shit as he used to. Ned were waiting patiently by the pig pen. They both had another beer selected what they estimated would be the closest caliber of piglet to fit the diameter of PVC pipe, chased her down, greased her up and stuffed her in, using a broomstick like a ramrod. The piglet were squealing up a storm from start to finish. Ned, marveling at how the little red tube of the WD's nozzle fit so nicely in the hole they drilled in the breach, charged up the cannon with near the whole can. Next, they leaned the tube against the chicken coop at a 45-degree angle. Depending on the distance they achieved, they drunkenly estimated the pig jectile would land in the reservoir. They both had yet another beer. Bob read the launch codes, and Ned applied the barbecue lighter. The pig left the cannon with a great thwomp. They watched it sail into the sky with a dwindling squeal. It was immediately clear that the piglet weren't landing in the reservoir like they'd expected. It might have sailed right across the goddamn county line. It took them nearly an hour to find it. The piglet had flown clear over the reservoir and landed in a nearby meadow. It appeared to have barfed up its guts, but whether that were the blast of the cannon or the impact of the landing was unclear. From the chest back, it were burnt up pretty good. Its legs were pointed in all different directions. Ned picked up a stick and tried spooning the guts back inside the piglet's open maw. I don't think she's going to make it, Ned said. Don't reckon so, said Bob. They just kind of stood there looking at it for a minute. It looked kind of pathetic, laying there the way it were. In hindsight, Bob thought maybe it weren't the best idea to shoot the little piggy out of the cannon. It occurred to him how sometimes things seem like good ideas at first, but afterwards, they don't always seem like they were such a good idea after all. Life was strange like that, weren't it? Tell you what, said Ned. WD-40 and bacon smell pretty good together. Well, I'll be dipped, Bob said. Twelve. Bob showed up at the next auction with an unfathomable amount of purchasing power. Five hundred dollars. It seemed like every time Bob wished another dollar would come his way, the jar baby somehow made it happen. Business was booming. Who knew there was such a demand for the odds and ends he dug out of these containers? 
The container currently up for bid was going to be a good one. Previously rented by a wealthy man who'd recently kicked the bucket. When the auctioneer lifted the door up, he could see right away there were a big screen TV inside. A TV fit for a king. Gertie Sue would sure be grateful that Bob brought her home a TV like that. Unfortunately for her, Dwayne at the pawn shop would pay his gratitude in dollars. And that were a whole lot more appealing to him than a half-smile from the monster on the couch. Bob started the bidding off at an aggressive $50, putting off many of the other bidders right away. He stayed quiet while the few that remained tentatively bid the unit up to 65 but when Bob countered back with 75 a collective groan testified to their surrender. He hadn't even needed to wish for it to happen. The unit was his. Bob showed up a few minutes later at the Italian ice stand. Everyone but him were looking fairly disappointed. Rightly so. He'd barely given them a chance to win. Now that he had more money than everyone else, he were the one with all the leverage. The rich get richer, and the poor get poorer, he'd always heard. And now, he understood why. Without barely trying, Bob had managed to claw his way out of the middle class and into the elite. Bob were a goddamn aristocrat. On the tail of that thought, Bob reckoned he might as well play the part and carry out a great act of altruism. Italian ice is on me, he said aloud. Everyone gets one, courtesy of Bob Mason. That seemed to perk everyone up a bit, even garnered a few thankful smiles from the crowd of plebeians. Most notably, however, it got him a little smile from Crystal. After everyone had gotten an Italian ice, Bob bellied up to the counter. Crystal had on her usual jean shorts, and as always, looked rather toothsome. That was awful nice of you, she said. Including you, that's $26. Come into some money or something? Grinning, Bob peeled the cash from his wad of money and tossed it to her. Let's just say business has been good. She leaned on the counter. Through the low neck of her t-shirt, Bob glimpsed the undulating terrain within. Is that right? She asked. That's perfect, Bob said. I mean, yeah. That's right. You know, I hate to ask, but my mama's been sick and... Well, she leaned forward a little more, just enough so the right teddy lost its footing and drifted a bit. Bob's salivary glands spontaneously emptied their reservoirs. Lightly, he brushed his nipple. I guess what I'm saying is I could really use some help. Help? Bob asked. Crystal seemed to think about that for a moment. Come back here, she said. She led him around to the back of the wall of the porta potties behind the snack area. She looked at him seductively. You want to play with them? She asked. Play with them? Crystal frowned. You know what I'm talking about. Bob pretended to wonder. There seemed to be a direct correlation between him having that wad of money and how friendly Crystal had suddenly become. I've seen you looking at him every chance you get. I know you want to. Bob played coy. What are you getting at? She stomped a foot. Do you want to play with my breasts or what? Your titties? Fifty bucks, she said. 
That's all I need for my mama's medicine. Please? Bob considered it. That's pretty steep, he said. Is that for both? Both? You mean both breasts? Fifty bucks is a lot of money, but if it's for both titties, that comes about to twenty-five bucks a titty, and that seems more reasonable. Fine, she said. Both. Bob agreed. He peeled a fifty off his wad and handed it to her. Crystal took his hands and slid them up her shirt. Bob examined the titties, gently, but thoroughly. Minutes later, he thought he could program them both into a CNC machine. They're... they're magnificent, he said. Crystal looked confusedly at him for a moment. She smiled. You've changed, Bob. I don't know what it is, but something's different about you. Gertie were back home watching the latest Maury. Maury were always good for a couple of laughs, but once in a while there'd be an episode that really resonated with her. Today, a woman believed her man had been cheating on her, but he insisted up and down that no, he certainly had not. Just as she was starting to believe that maybe he was telling the truth, Maury went ahead and played a video of him sucking face with a decoy lady out in the green room. As you expect... Letitia went ahead and had a shit fit. How naive she had been the whole time. How naive Gertie Sue had been all this time. The man was always coming home late. So was Bob. The man had started acting strange all of a sudden. So had Bob. The man just hadn't been paying any attention to her lately. Same with Bob. It was like the episode had aired just for Gertie. Like a secret message from God saying... Gertie Sue, stop being so naive. You know Bob has been cheating. You need to dump that zero and get yourself a hero. I'll be dipped, said Gertie Sue. Thirteen. Come Thanksgiving, Bob were feeling extra thankful for how well everything had been going. It had been a hell of a year, mostly on account of finding the jar baby. Ned... Ted and all of Bob's regular buddies were coming by to join him for Thanksgiving dinner, which he had widely advertised to be an epic feast unlike any other. By now, the piglets in the backyard had grown suitably big and fat, so he'd killed one and cleaned it out the day before. And, like Lenny's previous owner, he'd become bored with the pelican, so he killed that too. Then, he killed a chicken. The pelican, when gutted and plucked, looked kind of funny like a big misshapen chicken. The chicken, when gutted and plucked, looked like a regular gutted plucked chicken. Looking at them laying there side by side, he experienced what he could only describe as a culinary revelation. With that, he stuck the chicken up the pelican's ass. It fit rather nicely, almost like it belonged there. Of course, this were only the beginning. He got the biggest turkey he could find from the store, and up the ass of the turkey went the chicken-stuffed pelican. Into the little pig went the turkey. But, just as he was about to close up the pig, he were imbued suddenly with a catabatic wind of genius. And up the little chicken's ass went a pepperoni pizza. A pig terpelcha pizza. A veritable cornucopia. The pig turpelcha pizza spent all day in the oven before it was suitably cooked through. 
It weren't until then that Bob started to wonder how he was going to serve the thing. What he settled on was to saw the whole thing into slices. This way, the presentation remained intact. In each slice, you could make out all of the ingredients, each one stuffed into the other, with pizza in the middle. Even Mr. and Mrs. Wilson, the pastor and his wife, had shown up to try the pig turpelcha pizza. They lopped the legs and the head off of the pig in order to create a kind of uniform roundness. All that time in the oven had shrunk it up quite a bit, and the finished product looked like a big, dark, charred blob. But, as he set it on the table, he tilted the blob to reveal neat, uniform slices, each one embraced by a pair of ribs. Now there's a sight to behold, Ned said, tucking his napkin into his t-shirt. It's huge, Crystal said. Thank you, said Bob, to Crystal in particular. Bob, I gotta tell you, said Mr. Wilson, you have become the talk of the town lately. I dare say that I think the Holy Spirit has found a home in Bob. Bob, what's your last name again? Mason, sir. A home in Bob Mason. God bless you. Thank you, Mr. Wilson. Bob looked at his wife to see how impressed she was at the adulation. Strangely, she seemed unmoved. Bob had set an extra place at the table for the jar baby. Of course, the jar baby wouldn't eat anything on account of it being dead and in a jar, but it seemed like the right thing to do. If it weren't for the jar baby, there wouldn't be any pig turpelcha pizza. The jar baby, through all its little miracles, had made all of this possible. He reached into his pocket and withdrew the jar. Ew, Crystal said. What in the Sam Hill is that? asked Mr. Wilson. He found it in a container. Bob shot her a grudging glance. Someone very special to me, he said. He set it on the table. Everyone was quiet for a moment. Mr. Wilson cleared his throat. Well, well, we'll uh, include him in our prayers, Bob. Bob, would you like to say grace? Bob looked at everyone joining him around the table. He felt a warm wave of gratitude come over him. It truly had been a blessed year. He lowered his head in prayer. Lord, thank you for bestowing this great bounty upon us. Please bless this pig turpelcha pizza. Thank you for the pig, the turkey, the pelican, and the chicken. And for the pizza. Amen. And thank you most of all for the jar, baby. Amen. Amen, everyone repeated. Everyone, except for Gertie. Maybe she weren't feeling the Thanksgiving spirit this year. But Bob be dipped in shit if that kept her from eating. Fourteen. Well into December, Bob had been sorting through his own storage containers, selecting suitable Christmas presents for his friends and neighbors. In any given container, there were invariably the remnants of old collections, new, unwrapped items of all types. For the youngsters, there were the superhero figurines. For the man, all those gimmicky tools you see on infomercials. Perfect gifts. 
For the ladies, all those home shopping deals, earrings, necklaces, home and kitchen doodads, etc. He'd found a little something for everyone. Now, Bob weren't expecting any company, so he were plain surprised to see two cars parked there right out front of his house when he arrived back home. One fancy sedan without a scratch on it, and a nice pickup truck, a few years newer than his. When he went inside, he found he did indeed have some company. One squirrely-looking fellow in a suit sitting in the chair by the fireplace, and a skinny little fellow in Coke bottle glasses. Sitting in, of all fathomable places... Gertie Sue's lap. He'd sunk in right into her, not unlike the effect Gertie had on the couch. And the man looked just about as happy as a pig in shit. Well, I'll be dipped, Bob said. Mr. Mason, so glad to finally meet you, said the suit. He came over with his hand extended. I am Maxwell Rosenberg of Rosenberg Mediation. I'm here to assist you and Mrs. Mason through the process. I trust that we can all arrive at an amiable agreement. Bob was still looking at the twerp sitting in his wife's lap. It were fairly unusual for a man to walk into his own house to see a twerp sitting in his wife's lap, but that weren't even the strangest thing about it. It near looked like she were taking him on, kind of how he'd been led to understand a planet were made. Like the gravitational force of his gargantuan wife were sucking the little man in to become a part of her very terrain. It was such a peculiar sight to behold. He could barely summon up the gumption to feel affronted on. Gertie Sue, I'm not sure if you notice, but you got a little man on your lap. Gertie sneered. Benjamin's my new boyfriend, even though that's none of your business now. He cares about me ten million times more than what you do. More, even. Now, now, said Rosenberg. He withdrew his hand, realizing Bob did not mean to shake it. Either that, or he decided he didn't want to shake it for fear of having his own hand maimed. There's no need to argue. That's all beside the point. What we need here is to come to a fair agreement that will allow you both to go your separate ways. I'll be dipped. You're divorcing me? You're no good. You're not even a man. Leaving me on the couch and never paying me any attention. Well, I've been on the internet, and I... I was under the impression you both had sorted this out prior to our meeting, Rosenberg said. Shall I come back another time? No way, Gertie said. It's already been too long, Bob. You'd better sign in papers. I wants a divorce, and a means to have it. Bob were fairly taken off guard at the moment. The lawyer seemed that way too, but he went into his little satchel and pulled out a folder with the papers in it. Here is the paperwork, Mr. Mason. Everything has been prepared in advance. Mrs. Mason doesn't want a penny, just the house and everything in it. Besides your clothes, your joint possessions are hers. The animals are yours, and whatever you have in storage is yours. You'll keep all of the money in your business account and all of your inventory. Everything you need to make a brand new start. So, what you're saying is, you want to kick me out? Oh, it's not like that at all, the lawyer said. Just understand, Mr. Mason. Mrs. Mason can't exactly pick up and leave herself. There are, uh, logistical difficulties, you understand. 
Now, Bob were initially a little outraged by the proposal, but he supposed he did understand. There certainly were logistical difficulties in the fact that it necessitated a crane and a bucket loader to get Gertie Sue off the couch, and wherever she meant to go after that would present further complications. He reckoned that relocating Gertie Sue would be somewhat comparable to moving a log cabin. They'd have to take her apart and put her back together somewhere. He thought he'd say so. I reckon you'd have to disassemble her and move her piece by piece, like a log cabin. You see, Mr. Maxwell, you see what I have to go through? Now, now, I know it's a tense situation. I know that. That's why I'm here, to mediate. To make sure we take this tense situation and make the I reckon you'd shoot or relocate the great goddamn pyramids. You're a pig, Bob, Gertie said. The twerp in her lap wiggled like he were on a waterbed while she talked. You've always been pig, but now you're even worse. Now you're a real pig, and you know what? You're going to get what's coming to you. Now, now, said Rosenberg. Now, now, said the twerp. Even if it weren't for me, you wouldn't even have a couch to sit your fat ass on. And now you want it all? Mr. Mason, said Rosenberg, I employ you to consider the big picture here. A lot of couples fight for months, sometimes even years over matters like these. A lot of women end up with the house and the money, but since Mr. Wyatt here has offered to support Mrs. Mason, all she requires is that her quality of life is unchanged. What we're proposing is the simplest solution for both of you's. She lives out her life just the way it is, and the only thing removed from it is you. And you, you're free to pursue your growing business, sir, and have a whole new life. Imagine the possibilities, Mr. Mason. Does it really sound so bad? Bob rolled that around in his brain for a minute. He did a little weighing out of things. A little probability calculation. Just like he were accustomed to doing at all the container auctions. Say he did agree to giving up the trailer for greener pastures. What did he stand to lose? What did he stand to gain? On one side, he'd lose some of his shit. But what did he own in the first place, anyway? Not a whole lot. What was laughable about it were that Gertie and he barely had a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. Not precisely a family fortune. In all their years of marriage, they had managed to amass a grand total of Jack's shit. And Jack might never have been there. Come to think of it, all there was was shit. Shit. She could take all the shit she wanted. It wouldn't make a difference to him. Now that he thought about it, he didn't give a wet fart for anything in the house. And what did he stand to gain? The owner of a growing business, still fairly young, irresistibly handsome, and on his way to becoming rich. The possibilities were endless. The titties were endless. All shapes and sizes. Now that I think about it, Bob said, that might not be so bad of a deal after all. Rosenberg smiled widely. I knew you'd see it our way, Mr. Mason. All you have to do is sign a few papers, and you've got your new lease on life. Bob took the papers and sat down at the kitchen table. Everywhere he were supposed to sign was marked with an X. He didn't even have to read anything. This all made such perfect sense. 
Why hadn't he thought of doing this before? He glanced over at the couch from time to time, just to take a look at Gertie snuggling with a twerp on her lap. What did that guy see in her anyway? Must be one of them feeder characters he'd heard of. Those guys who like to keep their women as fat as possible. Well, good for him. They just hit the jackpot. He finished signing the documents and handed them to Rosenberg. Very good, Mr. Mason, very good. According to the agreement, you have one week to get your clothes out of the house. Everything else is to remain in the custody of Mrs. Mason. Even the commemorative Elvis plate? Bob said. The plate, too, said Rosenberg. Well, you know what? She can keep the clothes. I'm buying a whole new wardrobe. New man, new wardrobe. Gertie snorted. I'm the one with the new man. You're just an asshole. Now, now. Truculently, Bob walked to the door. But there were one final question that begged to be asked. He turned back. What's he seen you anyway, Gertie Sue? Besides a soft place to sit. The twerp finally piped up at that. She's a beautiful woman, he said. Well, best of luck to you said Bob. I'm off to feel me some brand new titties. Bob walked out into the sunshine. It was like the skies had cleared just for him. His imagination was awash with new possibilities. Every little concern he'd ever had about Gertie Sue, making sure she were fed and watered, listening to her yap about this and that, wondering how he were going to get her off the couch eventually. All of it had lifted from his shoulders leaving him feeling a thousand pounds lighter. He couldn't help but smile. Come to think of it, he couldn't remember the last time he smiled the way he were smiling now. Bob! Gertie screamed from inside the house. He turned around. Yes, dear. I hope you dropped dead. Now that was funny, Bob thought, because for him, life were just beginning. But the most peculiar thing happened just then. Bob's cell phone started vibrating in his pocket. Only that weren't possible, because he left his cell phone in the truck. And when he stuck his hand in his pocket, he realized it was the jar baby vibrating like that. Only, he hadn't made a wish. Had he? It took him a second to piece it all together. He remembered when he'd signed the auctioneer's paper certifying the unit he'd found the jar baby in was his. That was when it started working when it was officially his. And now, he'd signed the paper certifying everything but the business was Gertie's. The jar baby were officially Gertie's. And now that Gertie had wished Bob would drop dead, well, Bob was suddenly so mortified he didn't even notice the fractured concrete septic tank lid creaking and crumbling beneath his feet. Well... I'll be dipped in shit, he said. You've been listening to Jar Baby by author Jeff Sturdivant, as performed by yours truly. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I guess it's true what they say, that you ought to be careful what you wish for as it might come true. Or in Bob's case, what his ex wishes for might come true. (laughs) 
And I wonder, listener, what do you think would happen to you if your enemies had the chance to wish upon a jar? <laughs> On second thought, it's probably best not to think about it. <laughs> if you enjoyed Jar Baby, consider supporting the author and gifting yourself several hours worth of twisted entertainment by picking up a copy of Jeff's collection of eight hand-picked tales entitled Occupational Hazards, The Blue Collar Omnibus, available now on Amazon and Audible.com. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash hazards and you'll be redirected to where you can grab a copy today. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash hazards. Just like what you heard tonight, the eight tales featured bring outlandish humor, disturbing darkness, and average workaday life together for a unique perspective of the human experience. These stories exemplify the unsavory side of our everyday existence, our lifestyles, our treatment of others, our private thoughts, and even the food we eat. While these stories are layered with meaning, allegory is never the intention. Black, bleak, and messy as life may seem through his eyes, Jeff's objective is to find the humor in it, and he hopes to help you do the same. Occupational Hazards is an unflinching ride through the absurdity of it all, and not recommended for the faint of heart, or the easily offended. But, if meaty stories are what you're after, I hope you're hungry. <laughs> Thanks again for picking up a copy, and for your support of the author and indie horror. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Horror Hill. Don't forget to tune in again next week, when I again regale you with a handful of tales to terrify, plumbed from the most depraved depths of the human imagination. Tonight's featured story was written by the very talented Jeff Sturdevant, and brought to you with his kind permission. Jeff is an ABR award-winning author of the book Occupational Hazards the Blue Collar Omnibus, and several other books, available on Amazon and Audible.com. He lives with his wife and two daughters in Palmer, Pennsylvania. To find Jeff Sturdevant's audiobooks, visit him at flexfiction.com. That's flex, F-L-E-X, fiction.com. He also welcomes you to connect with him on Facebook as Jeff Sturdevant or on Twitter, at Flex Fiction. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference. It would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month. 
and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Thanks for your support. Until next week, listener when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness. I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener. And whatever you do, if you're here scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. <laughs> thanks for listening you've been listening to the horror hill podcast a production of chilling entertainment and the creative team at chilling tales for dark nights and a proud member of the simply scary podcast network visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by, yours truly, Jason Hill. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda, Luke Hodgkinson, and Jesse Cornett. Final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshak. The program's artwork by yours truly, Jason Hill. Logo by Craig Groshak. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, Subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode, and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew, and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing, and leave a kind word. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. 
the darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.